Dear Lord, we're very grateful for your continued goodness to us. We'd ask that our lives would continually become, as you ask, righteous and faithful in such a way that the lost would understand the goodness of your gospel. In your son's name, amen. Well, stuff happened this week. Stuff that Christian leaders all over the landscape were flipping out. Got to do something. We probably probably have to do something. If we had any government in this church, we would call a meeting. And we would decide, well, how are we going to set this up because there's some of us that go, you know, it's just a building, don't worry about it. Others would say, no, it's, you know, it represents Christ in the community through us, and although it is not really an important thing in and of itself, we'd rather not have gay weddings done here. Certainly I would not be doing any. But as I, so it was in a lot of conversation, we were, uh, Wine, Wisdom, and Song, we were on it a little bit. Uh, my lawyer son from back east who lives in the belly of the beast calls repeatedly over the past few days to talk about the fate of the nation. It's been worse. In human history, since Christ, it's been worse. Much worse. Some of the times we consider golden ages were much worse than this, morally. And I'm not just doing that to say, well, because it is, it's been worse, cheer up. It can get worse. That's not how I want to approach things. I'm not really actually approaching the question of whether homosexuals should be allowed to get married in a civil society or whether or not they're up to no good to abridge the rights of people who are religious, telling them they cannot believe what they believe. They cannot disagree with homosexuality and say anything, as long as you don't say anything. I was thinking of Corinthians, I've been in Corinthians 6 uh, with a number of discussions. And in that discussion, because there's a passage that mentions homosexuality, um, I wanted to see how Christians how Paul talks about Christian thought regarding these things. So we're starting in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9. He has dealt with an immoral situation in the church in Corinth. He expresses himself on it in regard to that. And then he starts talking about the thinky aspect of this decision. I wrote to you in my letter, which is confusing. This is 1 Corinthians. So there was a really 1 Corinthians written before this letter. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral men. Not at all meaning the immoral of this world or the greedy and robbers or idolaters since then you would need to go out of the world. But rather I wrote to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or robber, not even to eat with such a one. What have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? 
God judges those outside. Lewis, drive out the wicked person from among you. Now this is a passage that a lot of people know about and most everybody inverts. They spend all their time throwing bricks at the secular world for all of the immorality they're involved in. Preaching against the homosexuality in the world. I don't think there's anything wrong with preaching against homosexuality in the world. But I'm not supposed to try to pass a judgment in this situation. I know God doesn't like it. But that's not, it's not my job to be all up ahead of steam to do something about the state of the world. I really can't. I can't even avoid them. It'd be crazy to try to avoid them. Who I can avoid, and who I should avoid, are people who claim to be Christians and live in this way. Now, the reason I bring this up is because we actually have, we actually have a, not an informal way of gleaning from the scriptures, taking around the edges of books like you were Ruth with Naomi, picking up the, the, the stalks of wheat at the very edge of the scriptures and taking them home and maybe putting them up on Facebook. Where you base your life on a set of rules that maybe your church or you kind of like, but generally you live your life as you see fit the way you understand it to be. This passage, you will notice through the course of it, down through this column, you'll see in red, do you not know, do you not know, do you not know, do you not know, do you not know. The problem is the church doesn't know what they're told to be like. The Christian church knows that certain things are wrong, but they don't know why. They think they know why, because frankly, homosexuality is just really icky. Like you used to think when you were like 10 and you thought about kissing a girl. Remember that thought? You, you can't imagine it. It is, it, you, you gorge, you know, you, what is that gag reflex. It is, you mean your, your mouths go together? And you joked about it, because how awful, my goodness, swap and spit, man. That's not a really good reason to be against homosexuality. It grosses you out. It doesn't make something wrong to gross you out. Some people think so. They can't imagine somebody, what other things gross you out? The way I eat? You know, so he's got to be wrong, right? This can't be moral. He shouldn't be allowed to be a bishop. There's something really, really off here. We have our heads inverted. We think we, we borrow Christian, loosely Christian morality. We then think like the world. We put the two together and do the exact reverse. We judge the world. We try to shun the world. We have a whole culture in Christendom of avoidance of the world. Just like, I mean, whether you're Baptist legalist or you're a homeschool innocence uh, project, somehow sin still follows you. 
but he wrote to you not to associate with immoral meaning. Just in case you missed it, not meaning in any way the sinners of the world. Because you would have to, ludicrous thought, leave the world. Oh, oh, let's try that then. Let's go move to, you know, some wilderness area in Alaska and be done with it. No, he actually told you to be protecting the moral condition of the church. You're supposed to be kind of aware of sin, doing something about Christian sin. And where do we find ourselves slipping? When the world's flying a rainbow flag and marching all over the place and, and, and screeching at you and you want to go to war with them. But then, and I've seen it happen too many times, a pastor's son ends up a poofter and he suddenly has a growth and a change of mind. We start making excuses for our own. Instead of, the, the, the biblical concept is you don't make excuses for sin inside the church. We said, but they are our own. We love them. We don't want to lose their tithing. We don't want them. Well, how could they ever be won back unless we, we stay in fellowship? He says, you don't even eat with such a person. That list, look at it. Immorality, that's, that's doing sex. You pick the method. Greed, again, not a real icky sin. No spit swapping, anyway. Idolatry, I'm there. I'm there with you, Jesus. I'm, none of us are idolaters, right? Good. We're, we're part of the way there. Reviler, drunkard, or robber. Don't even eat with such a person. What I want to encourage you about this morning is to watch ourselves honestly and to realize our, our task is to be as the Lord called us to be, not just assume that all of us having the same consistent reaction against a particular sin. We gave it all up back when all of our friends were living together heterosexually and you got cool with it. Okay? Oh yeah, that's just normal. Now, that's just what you do. The hookup culture, living together. Christians no longer are, well, too many Baptist pastors' daughters are knocked up. That's why too many people can't imagine giving up heterosexual sex. Most of us are heterosexual. We can't understand how the homosexual can't repent. Why can't he? My, my daughter's church has a uh, ministry uh, uh, through partially through their church called uh, something. What's that? Portland Fellowship, which deals with homosexuals coming out of the homosexual world, and you know, uh, counseling and Bible study and all the rest. It's done a great job. Done no, a number of the guys that have been through the program there, um, and and the head of the program. Um, uh, was a homosexual, uh, active homosexual, who was saved, called out of it, now wife and couple kids, I think, two kids. And he helped Michael, our daughter, get through the legal problem of being asked to play a gay wedding in Portland, um, and it's against the law for her to refuse. 
Uh, so the head of this, we, we have, I don't know what got me off on that, we have ministries that deal with this, and we sometimes wonder, those of us who are heterosexuals, and I am, how can they not resist this for heaven's sake? There's a reason they claim it's natural, they were born that way. Just like you can't imagine when you went through puberty, it not being heterosexually tempting. And when you were falling to that temptation, to whatever degree you did, you couldn't imagine not doing it. We need to understand what we are about as Christians. Why are things sin? What do you do about it? How do you act? Not have this, this kind of prissy uh, organizational line we draw that we then have to come up with some legal positioning. It doesn't matter what the world does. You can make homosexuality legal to get married, but you can't make it moral. And my basic position for, say, you were wondering, what is Evan's position about? What if a couple gay guys came to him? I have some gay friends, and, and what if they said, you know, Evan's cool, he's had us over. Ask him to, he has to do it now because of the Supreme Court. I'd say, well, yeah, they're happy to marry you guys, but I only marry moral people. You're not sleeping together or anything, are you? And you don't plan on sleeping together, do you? Because that would be sin. Now, that's facetious, of course. I wouldn't say I would marry them. I'd say, I, but I don't marry immoral people. I don't care if they're two heterosexuals in the prime of their heterosexuality. If one's a Christian and one's a non-Christian, I'm not marrying them. It's immoral. Oh, they're doing sex the right way, but I don't marry them. I would marry two non-Christians. Remember when I uh, told a couple that came to our church that I wouldn't marry them because he wasn't a Christian, and he wasn't. Well, he became a Christian, and I married him. And they're happy in the Lord, doing well. Not here anymore, so don't be looking around like, well, there's only so many married couples here. It's got to be one of them. They live somewhere else now. How do you think? Are we viewing the church as an agent at war with the sin of the world? Jesus Christ did not come into the world to condemn sinners, but that the world would be saved by him. For the world was condemned already. It's not that condemnation isn't good, it's great. But it's already done. God judges those outside, verse 13. You're responsible to be sure that Christianity and the where you hang out in it has a purity to it. You have a responsibility there. And then he goes into, in verse chapter 6, verse 1, and it seems like it's just Paul going through a series of Corinthian problems that he's solving one at a time. But you'll notice there's a common thread. And be aware, I pointed out that we're doing the reverse of what it says. We're judging the world, and we're not judging the saints. When one of you has a grievance against a brother, does he dare go to law 
before the unrighteous instead of the saints, do you not know? Now the reason that's in red, and the reason it persists in being red in this passage, is because I want you to concentrate on what makes sin, sin. It's not how icky homosexuality is, because heterosexual sex is icky. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? He's asking of them information out of their head. Do you know? Now, what's interesting here? You could spend some time thinking. He just told you at the end of chapter 5 to not judge the world. Then he says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Within three sentences. He, he said, oh my gosh, a contradiction in the Bible. My parents' faith in me, crash and burn. I'm gonna, how can I believe any of this is true? You think that Paul might have noticed this? Or that he's making a point within three sentences? So what are you going to do with it? How are you going to think? You know one of the standard things that non-Christians seem to have been taught in Sunday school is, don't judge. I was talking to a Christian girl the other night. And she was concerned about some Christians. She said, I don't want to be judgmental. And I wanted to stop her and go, no, 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 go right ahead. Please, be judgmental. That's who we are supposed to judge. Well, judgmental is kind of, you know, being all jockey shorts at a, you know, not about how the flowers were placed in the sanctuary this week. Because Mrs. So-and-so, who thinks she knows something, This is a lot of misunderstanding. It's almost like people think that judgment is bad. You're told, don't judge the world. God's judging those outside. You judge the Christians. Okay? Got that going? And then he says, regarding settling things between Christians, where you are supposed to be active, the realization that someday... You're going to be judging the cosmos. The word for world here is cosmos. You get the word cosmos from it. It is the world. And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? Now both of these comments are future. You will be judging the world. You will be judging angels. We are going to be operating at a level far above what we're operating now. You are not in that position now. So don't judge the world. Let God judge them. Judge who you are to judge, the trivial cases between Christians, and the moral standards of the faith. You should be able to, right? How much more matters pertaining to this life? If then, you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who are least esteemed by the church? I say this to your shame. Now, I say this to your shame. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make, Paul is saying, I'm trying to make you embarrassed about what's going on in your head. We've been covering some things lately in the Bible study on Wednesday and conversations I've been in, some of the debates and porch conversations. 
big house porch, even in the heat, it's been crowded. We had to bring a fan out last night, this fan, and just to blow air around us, but we were out there talking about things. A lot of it is realizing or trying to communicate to people that the Christian life described in the Bible is nothing like the Christian life the church purports it to be. We agree on a number of things, a number of moralities, but when the church starts doing something is completely without the support of the scripture and it wants you to be entirely different than what we're trying to encourage the Christians to get out there and march in the streets. And you're actually told to do the exact opposite. Live quiet, peaceable lives, godly and respectful in every way. Because God desires all men to be saved. That's 1 Timothy 2. Now, when he says, do you not know, your study is to find out what it is in this world that makes everything, greed, idolatry, what are the other things, drunkenness, robbery. Why does somebody steal stuff? You've known people who've stolen stuff. Maybe you've stolen stuff. Adultery. I know Christians who have committed adultery. I know too many Christians who have committed adultery. And no, not the Jesus definition. Anyone lusts after a woman, he has committed adultery. Real adultery. I know Christians who have committed real adultery multiple times. And God's put marriages back together. Wonderfully, out of God's forgiveness. You gotta understand this. You can't be Pollyanna, no offense, Glenda. I know it's a real good book, but I'm using it in the cliche sense. I have to always apologize. She likes the book. I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no man among you wise enough to decide between members of the brotherhood? Oh, boy, that catches you. You know, say a couple of you had a falling out, something wrong. Yeah, you know, I think we could probably pull together that. I think we're a good enough church for that. But then he pushes it past that. Look at what he says next. But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is defeat for you. Why not rather, get this, suffer wrong? Why not, another get this, rather, be defrauded? Let him get away with it. But you don't understand, Evan, it's my stuff. I own this stuff. I'm an American. I bought this stuff at the Walmart. And because I'm low, I say the before the name. I went to the Walmart, I bought this flat screen TV, he ripped it off. Why are you, why are you so up about that? Yeah, he's a thief, yeah. I've known Christians to set things aside, not insist on it, they're cool with it. Real forgiveness. I've seen the good happen, I've seen the bad happen. 
But there's something about the depth of the Christian mind. First he is saying, look, control the Christians. Look at their moral condition. Make sure you don't even eat with the kind of people who claim to be Christians who live in gross immorality. These are grossly immoral things. These are flagrantly socially present. Idolatry, drunkenness, thieving. Immoral sex. And, matter of fact, what is the way you think all the way down to the basic relationships we have in trivial cases? Where is your mind? Do you not know that you are going to be raised eternal to judge angels and the world? So maybe you could have done something about this. And on the other hand, on the judge side of the matter, and maybe uh, the people who are the plaintiffs need to catch a clue about stuff. Theirs. What is that clue? Well, ask yourself, do I not know what's going on? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, and that even your own brethren. He's saying, why are two Christians having a complaint? Well, it, it happens. You know it happens. Misunderstanding. But I know churches where it's not just misunderstanding. I know places where there are bad people doing each other a disservice. And then when people find out that a real disservice intentionally was done to them by someone else who claims to be a Christian, they get all, you know, in a state. Rather than saying, you know, it doesn't change the fact that they're guilty. It doesn't change the fact that they're guilty. But it changes the fact what I do about it where my heart is. Do you not know, verse 9, that the righteous, the unrighteous, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now he's been, started this chapter 5 with the guy who was sleeping sexually with his stepmom. We think it was his stepmom. So illegal incest. Had to put him out of the church. And then he gets into the whys and wherefores of this relationship. So we're dealing with a church where real Sin has occurred. Big sin. We're a small church. They may have been a small church in Corinth. We don't know how many there were. But major sin is possible. And since we're thinking, because of the decision on Friday, about major sin getting legalized, and nobody's allowed to say it's major sin anymore, but I'm going to, We have to keep in mind that we are not about winning America for the Christian law. So you can have your Ozzy and Harriet life. So you can have kids without tattoos. Wouldn't it be great if we just could go back to the, you know, the time when everything was really great, the mid-70s. And my parents are going, you know, maybe the mid-40s. Can't we just go back to the Depression? Can't we just... That was the high point. Good movies were being made. And people had some standards. We lived in a chicken coop. My dad lived in a chicken coop. They painted it. We're not trying to make Christianity 
the law of the land. Some people are. You're trying to make Christianity the law of you. Because you're concerned that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom. It doesn't matter if anybody else in this room is righteous. You need to be. And we have to have the opinion that this is about righteousness. And righteousness is not defined by the church. Righteousness is not defined by the Supreme Court. Righteousness is not defined by the flow of a culture that finally says, you know, if you... You know, if you're a little immoral before you get married, that's understandable. <coughs> the people were a little immoral before they got married back in the first century. People have always been a little bit immoral before they got married. And then a little bit immoral after they got married. And there have always been homosexuals. You can read ancient Roman stuff where homosexuality is the theme. Don't read some of Shakespeare's sonnets Okay? Say, I, now I know I know which ones they are. Well, come to me privately with a good reason and five bucks and I will show you. The King James Bible? That king? Poofter. Okay? The most rigorous... No, never mind. I kind of like King James somewhat as a guy, but not as a, a boyfriend, but as a guy. Do not be deceived. Listen to this. Do not be deceived. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise, in other words. Don't, don't have anybody suggest something different to you. Neither the immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor sexual perverts, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor robbers will inherit the kingdom of God. The word sexual perverts is the word literally a man who sleeps with another man. It's homosexual. Some te texts will say that. Some will say sodomite. That's different from adulterer. That's different from cult prostitution and the idolatry or just immorality, pornos, where we get pornography from. That means a, a, a cult prostitute or a, a male or female. That was the state of the world he was in. That was the state of what... Corinth was just an awful town. It was like Vegas condensed to a black hole level of immorality. And that's what the gospel had been preached to in Corinth. And he says in verse 11, and such were some of you. We know, we know what it's like to be a thief, a robber, an adulterer, an immoral person, because we were that. That's what Christ saved us out of. Do you not know this? You know this. You had to come through the gospel to get here. Not to get here to this building, but to get here to this place in Christ. You have to know that that's the, the point of leverage. You were bad. Christ died. You believed. He forgave. You won't receive the kingdom of heaven if you're living this way. Because faith without works is dead. You were this way, but you were washed, sanctified, justified, 
In the name of the Lord Jesus and in the Spirit of our God. Remember all the excuses you make that protect kinds of sin that you can't quite give up. Now this is, of course, a, a stark list. This is the kind of list you don't want to be in a church where this is going on and nobody's doing anything. We, we've got other sins. We, you know, are get, we're, we're clingy about our stuff, you know. We feel the need to create church courts so we can sue each other without going to court in front of the non-believers. And we're not really thinking Christianly about this. We need to understand that we struggle with giving up our worldliness like the homosexual or the thief struggles as well. Now, I give a little piece of advice here on the side. Go back to what you think life is. What do you think it's about? What do you think you're supposed to be doing? What is your motivator? Write it all down. Write down the rules you live by. Sign your name. And then, underneath it, a comment. Your name is entirely, utterly, and inexcusably wrong. You don't know what you're doing. The reason we do not want the federal government designing a financial system is because they're idiots. All right? They are idiots. They don't know how to design a financial system. You can't design a financial system. Any designed financial system is going to be awful. Same with your life. You don't know what you're doing. What you thought you were going to do, I got the way I like to be, I got my personality, and everybody kind of likes me, and yes, these are the five rules I like to keep. Christ has something he wants us to be. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, right about here, say you got some friend, Christian friend, who's got leadership potential, and he's in this church, and you go, okay, it's not about the world and judging the world, it's about judging believers, and he says, go on. A little too eager. You really have to judge believers down to the trivial case and go on. His eye brightens. Get to the place where the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because yeah, my thoughts exactly. Judge the church no, not an inch for unrighteousness. And if he closed his Bible at this point, God help us. He would walk away, go out into the church, spreading this ministry of absolute law to make sure that righteousness must begin with the household of faith. But he doesn't read verse 12. All things are lawful for me. What? Do you know what Paul thinks about ethics? Well, I thought he was just living like Paul would live with his five rules. Whatever five Christian moralities you pick to be strong about. Weak about the other ones. Weak on the tax reporting. Weak on lust. What else can we be weak on? What are our popular weaknesses? Weak on the, the whole being like pissed at everybody. You know, those kind of people. 
who cannot stop being annoyed because they think they're the living God. They, they, they think they're at least a demigod. Paul's rules is all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Now look at Paul's approach to his life. He says, I'm set free from the law. Sin shall have no dominion over you, for you're not under law, you're under grace. This is Paul's path to righteousness. The standard, the unrighteous shall not inherit, is still the standard. How you get there is, do you not know? How you get there, and look what he applies it to. This is... He said, Evan, you've mentioned sex too many times in this sermon. I'm sorry, take it up with the apostle when you get to heaven. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for immorality. So when you say, do you not know... You're looking for meaning. And it's not just not meant because, oh my gosh, it's two guys. It's not meant for a guy and a girl. In other circumstances. Extramarital sexuality is what we're dealing with. Because homosexuality is extramarital. And so is goop fooling around. So is adultery. Extramarital sexuality. Do you not know? The body is not meant for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord. When he says immorality, that is the polite RSV way of saying, um, you know, sex. It's not immorality is everything that could be wrong. That's immoral. Immorality is usually um, some kind of sexual sin. In the RSV, anyway. And God raised the Lord and will raise also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Not only are you not meant for immorality, you should know the meaning of your sexuality, you should know the meaning of your body, and you should know that your body is a member of Christ. Shall I therefore take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Where did that prostitution just come from? Suddenly, out of the middle of my Bible lesson, the word prostitute. Well, in their world, they didn't date. They didn't have phones and hook up with some sorority girl where, who was giving away sexuality on the, just on the cheap because that's the state of our society. People didn't, I mean, I'm sure people had relationships that got them into trouble, but most of the time it was professional. Professional sexuality, whether religious sexuality, called prostitution, or, you know, capitalist. Paul is arguing for your mind to understand what Christians think like. He had just said, all things are lawful. I <coughs> he doesn't come down with a rule that says, you know, 
I think we don't have to, it goes without saying, it's against the rules to visit prostitutes. Wouldn't most of us be happier there? We'd like to continue to live the way we are as good Americans and then have our five rules that I'm willing to end up with that on the list. No visiting prostitutes. Do you not know that he who joins himself to a prostitute becomes one body with her? So you were supposed to realize that what was meant by God is not meant for immorality. Two, that you, you should know that your bodies are members of Christ. And three, you should know that if you visit a prostitute, you become one flesh with her. You become members of her as well. Now where are you? Hmm, you say to yourself, breaking the rules? No, you're not breaking the rules because all things are lawful. But some things enslave you and some things are not helpful. Things are not righteous and you're supposed to find the path to it. Paul doesn't say, I'm an apostle, quit going to the prostitutes. Let's make a rule in our church that prostitutes are off limits. And you're saying to yourself, he is saying prostitute way too many times. Doesn't he realize that Lewis is listening somewhere? For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. What are you learning? How are you knowing? Just like the homosexuals struggle with their sexuality, we struggle with ours. He, he goes on, I mean, in, in Corinthians, past where we go. At the, past the end of this chapter, the next chapter says, Concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is well for a man not to touch a woman. But because of the temptation to immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The question is, how are you learning the Christian life? Are you learning it just with the assumption that you get to be like you want to be, except for those five rules? Or... Are you rebuilding your mind to think like the Lord Jesus and his holy apostles to design a life that says, I understand that I've become of myself a member of Christ. And I understand I become a member of the whore if I sleep with her. And those just don't go together. Your world is turned on end. But if you just have someone who is... I like to be like I like to be and I'll keep the five rules and the prostitutes didn't quite make the five rules that I live by. That's where you end up. You end up in sin. You end up suing a Christian brother. You end up having all sorts of angry responses. We don't need to make some rules. We need to understand the world we live in as Christians. But he who is united to the Lord, verse 17, becomes one spirit with him. Shun immorality. The path to that shunning, the reason you get righteousness out of the believers, is they think like the Lord Jesus. They understood what kind of teaching he had brought to the world. And it put their urges, it put their temptations, just like Christ was tempted in every manner like as we, yet without sin. He understood. He wasn't just protected by a force field. 
Most people think, well, of course, he was God. If he couldn't sin. No, he was tempted. If he couldn't sin, it wasn't temptation. Just think, if you, you, you couldn't fall down, what would, you, what would you do if you couldn't fall down? Oh, you'd do some spectacular coming out of the church moments. You'd run at the back of the church, you'd slam your shoulder against one door, you'd flip your body out the front knowing you couldn't fall down. That somehow, like a cat, you would land on your feet just fine if you couldn't fall down. Jesus Christ was tempted. It wasn't that he couldn't fall down. Jesus risked it. And he risked it knowing the Father. Knowing the world that God had sent him into. Knowing the ways, the desires of the Father. That's what you're after. The phrase, do I not know? Why is it? You start having, when you fall in love with some fine young thing and things are getting a little too frisky a little too soon and you, your mind starts getting scrambled about whether really are my parents right about you know sex should I what what makes this really so wrong we love each other are you defining your world by the world's definitions every movie you know nowadays within a date every romantic comedy they sleep together within a date because there is a slight tipping of the hat towards romance because it, they kind of love each other and then, then the misunderstandings arise and of course it becomes a comedy, a laugh riot but we learn to think like the world regarding our sexuality stop to think how you are in Christ it's a, it's a very sexual religion he has provided marriage for you every other sin which a man commits is outside the body but the immoral man sins against his own body this was the verse that made Leslie want to marry me because I was so hot now she thought I shouldn't be smoking cigars some of you think I shouldn't be smoking cigars but she brought this verse up I said let's look at it and schooled her. It says, all other sins are not against the body, they're outside the body. You can't have another sin against the body except for sexual immorality. That's the only sin against the body. Cigars and sexual immorality is not the list. Monsanto produced foods or GMOs are not and sexual immorality are not on the list. It's just sexual immorality. Nothing else. Being fat, and I am, and I claim it, is not a sin against the body. Only sexual immorality is a sin against the body. Our body is a sexual thing. We've got to know where to put it. That's why in, in Corinthians 7, the next passage, it tells you how you're supposed to live out that sexuality. If you're not living that, read through Corinthians 7. If you're married, read through that and say, if I'm not doing that, I am going to confess not doing that. 
Just like I would confess, if, if I'm a homosexual struggling against my urges and I fall, I know I have to confess my sin. If you're a Christian person in a relationship, it is not like Corinthians 7. Go home and confess it. Re- renew your mind. Transform your life. Do you not know this is how God wants it? Do you not know, verse 19, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, which a lot of people then, just like the legalists stopped back at verse 11, the Gnostic stops here. Because it has become a holy place, like a temple, like a sanctuary, you don't want anything icky happening to it. And we don't define icky by sin, we define icky by sex. But God says, no, no, you don't seem to understand. It's icky by sin because how I have you deal with the icky of sin is for you to have sex in your marriage. That's that's chapter 7. That's why you get married. The temptation to immorality, let each man have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Not so they can look at each other fondly across the table. As good as that conversation may be. I've got guy friends I'd rather talk to. I'm, I have a lovely wife. I enjoy spending time with her. But, but some of my guy friends, you know, well, they talk about stuff, you know. Talking to Brian the other day up in my backyard about improvements at the house. And I, and I was his disciple. I, uh, he is my rabbi. Guys like that stuff. It's the sex. How you perform sex in the temple of the Holy Spirit, who it's performed with, what laws it follows, principles, that's to say, rather than laws, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Read chapter 7 to find out what the glory is. No, it is not being a Trappist monk. No, it is not being an American citizen who gets to be his own personality type, keeping five rules of Christendom and giving enough money to the church. Think like a Christian. Is the glorification of God in my body defined the way God defines the glorification of God in my body. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are grateful. For your good gifts to us, we'd ask that we'd learn to think of them the way you have thought of them when you designed them. You made us male and female. You made it pleasant. Help us think like you, your disciples, your son, your apostles. Help us pursue that well and wisely. In your son's name we pray. Amen.